Welcome to Ink in Your Veins. I'm your host, Rachel Heron. In this podcast, I talk to authors about the best things they've learned about writing so we can try those things too. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 404 of Ink in Your Veins. I'm Rachel Heron, and yes, you are in the right place. I'm changing the name of the show, y'all. Why am I doing that? I feel the need for a change. Let's talk about it a little bit. Don't be scared. Nothing is changing on your side, your end, except that I hope that the questions are going to be a little bit stronger, better, more fun. When I talk to people, uh, we're going to go in a little slightly different direction, but I would love to get your feedback on that. All insights, welcome. But I've been doing this for more than 400 shows. Yes, this episode number will be out of order on your podcast feed. Don't worry about that. I've already queued up all of December's and I'm going to slip this one in. So don't worry if the numbering is off. Don't worry if the logo looks a little bit different. Don't worry about that new theme music that probably just assaulted you right out of your chair um, in surprise. Next week or later this week, when you get the preloaded podcast episodes, they will sound like the old me, but the old me is still the now me and it will continue to be the future me. Nothing is changing in terms of tone or feeling in this show, but the words... How do you write? Really, I think, talked to brand new baby writers. And I love having brand new, fresh off the press writers who are still sharpening their very first number two pencil. And those writers are really welcome here. But a lot of you have been around a long time. You really know the ins and outs of writing and the publishing process. And we're always going to keep talking about those things. But it's deeper than that. It's stickier than that. It's more addictive than that. And you truly have ink in your veins. I have always felt like ink has been flowing through my body like my blood. And you do too. So I like this new name. I like my new theme music, which is by Andrew Wong, who is an artist that I admire. And... um I'm excited to be able to use that. And I want to run past you a couple of the new questions that will be on the show. Again, we're still going to continue to writers who are writing and talking about their process because I will always be obsessed with that. But here are some of the new questions that we'll be rolling out in the future. In the in the episodes that you hear coming up, the pre-recorded episodes, we're going to be doing the old questions. We're going to, I'm doing this slowly, easily, gently for you. But the new questions will be, um, what are the things that help you most when you're writing? And what's the most exciting thing you've ever uncovered in your writing process? And what part of writing do you struggle with the most? I'm going to keep asking about a craft tip, but I also think I'm going to start asking about a mindset tip. I'm going to keep asking about the kindest thing that you've ever done for yourself. And I want to ask people, what was a moment when they knew that they had ink in their veins? So that's going to be coming up, but essentially the bones, the skeleton, the structure of the show will be the same. So let me know what you think. I do want to know. Let me know if there's a question or two that you've always been dying for me to ask people, to put on my roster of things to ask. Um, If I don't hear back from anybody, that's fine. But if I do, and it's a great question, I would love to include it for future guests because making this podcast 
useful for you as well as enjoyable and pleasurable and all of that. It really needs to be useful to you. We don't have, we don't have time in this life to do things that aren't useful. That was a terrible thing to say. And I take it back. We all should make time to do things that are not useful things like napping and taking baths. Although all of those things have uses. Anyway, um, you know what I meant. Let me know if you have ideas for the show, any of that. While we're here, because we have this extra little show, um, I do want to talk about something that came up recently in Rachel Says Plan. We're going to talk about how do you know what book to choose and when to quit writing a book. But before I go into that, I also want to say really quickly and very importantly, I am making a big, scary, audacious, literally terrifying move in which I believe I'm only going to teach the 90 Days to Done classes once next year because I really want to focus on some big, new, scary goals of my own. And that terrifies me because I do bring in most of my money from teaching. Second after that is the money I get from books and writing, but I want to increase the books and writing uh, part of that puzzle. So why not put the stress on myself? So if you would like to take 90 Days to Done or 90 Day Revision, as I record this on the 13th, there are still a few slots left. If you have been thinking about it, if you've been on the fence, I'll be running it January through March in 2024. I do not predict teaching it again in 2024. I kind of want to throw up, <laughs> but I'm taking a leap of faith and I am trusting that not only will that damn net appear, but I, um, I'm a fiber artist. I can make that net. I'm going to craft. I'm literally going, um, up the coast today to pick up my spinning wheel. And if I need to spin that net out of harakeke, lax fiber that is growing in my backyard, I can, I don't know if I want to, but I can. So uh, do go sign up for the class if you would like to work with me in the masterclass live in person. Um, last chance for 2024. Okay, let's get into what we were talking about yesterday in Rachel Says Plan. I'm not going to go too deeply into this um, because actually this is an extension of the conversation we were having over there. Rachel Says Plan is a part of my Patreon. You can always look at that at patreon.com slash Rachel, where we talk all month about our plans, talk every week about our plans for the week. And then of course our goals move and change and we adjust, we replan, we we, we make new goals. And once a month we get together and we chat. And there was a person in there who was trying to decide between three projects. How should they decide? we were talking about. And there was a person who had recently put to the side a book that they'd been working on to pick up a sparkling new object to write during Nano. And I could just see in their face how much that had given them. And then there was another person who asked, um, okay, I had three things that I wanted to write and I let somebody help me pick which book to write and I'm writing that book and I'm not loving it. How can I avoid moving toward the sparkly and the new? And in that conversation, I realized later after I hung up that I, we, were, we were kind of talking opposite ends of the spectrum. For the person who was deciding between three books, they were very clear that they didn't have one sparkly object. One had been around longer, but they were all sparkly. They were all calling equally loud. And so my advice to them was my typical advice, which is then actually it's good news because it doesn't really matter. All you have to do is choose one 
And it doesn't matter which one. There is no right answer. The only wrong answer is not choosing one and continuing to not write those projects. Um, although they have not been struggling to write, this is this would be a next project. Uh, but that's kind of one of those nice problems to have. The danger is not picking something and not moving forward. And the difficulty is in believing that, oh, yes, I should give up the next few X number of months or a year to work on this project. Because it necessarily means you are saying no to those other two. But that's okay. We must do that in order to clear the deck, move that project away and off our desk, finish it so that we can get to the next one. It is really a gift that we give to ourselves when we choose a project in order to get it out of the way. I find myself doing this again and again and again because I do try to do all things at all times and I cannot, I must choose. So they're going to choose a project. Um, and then, like I said, an another person was talking about how they had put to the side a project that has been plaguing them and picked up this new joyous project and worked on it through Nano. And it has just been breaking blocks and they've been having so much fun with it. And I was like, yay, that's amazing. And then Ed, Ed, I'm going to dime you out. Sorry about that. I know you don't mind. I hope you don't mind. It's going to be too late. You can tell me. Um, my assistant and friend, Ed, <laughs> Ed was the one who was like, um, I'm working on this book, not loving it, not loving it. How do I avoid the shiny object? And I gave almost contra I gave not almost I gave contradictory advice to him when I said, um, "How far are you with this other project?" And he said, "Almost done with the third draft." And I was like, "Oh my god, keep going, finish it, jeez!" And then you could pick up the shiny new object. And I gave advice that I often give, which is choose how much you're going to write on the work in progress. What is your daily goal or your weekly goal? And then on the day that it is a work day, you do the work. And then afterwards, you can reward yourself by working on the shiny new object. Two things happen here. One thing is that you may get to work on the shiny new object and you've written on the work in progress. Fantastic. And second thing, a lot of times the shiny new object is just trying to lure you away, right? And once you've done your work on the work in progress work for the day, you look at the shiny new object and you're like, nah, I'm going to get a snack. I'm good. The shiny new object was just resistance, trying to lure you away from finishing this project. However, and, and I do believe that for, for a lot of us, a lot of the time, we just need to avoid, resist that shiny new object and keep doing our work to lug along and finish. However, I was lying in bed last night, unable to sleep, thinking about this and how sometimes that is just wrong. It's wrong for us in that moment because we do have to think about things like the sunk cost fallacy, which we have talked about on here before, but it's something that I never really understood until I read the book Quit by Annie Duke. So if anybody is thinking about this, like, should I quit this project that I've been working on for so long in order to follow a new shiny project? The answer is maybe. It really is. Uh, the answer is go buy the book or get from the library the book Quit by Annie Duke. Read it. And um, so sunk cost fallacy, you've heard about it. It is when we have poured a lot of time, energy, or money into a project. It is then very, very difficult for us to decide not to do it anymore, to quit it, to let it go, or even put it aside temporarily. It is a cognitive bias that even when we are very well aware of it, we cannot see our way around it. The person who 
first explored the sunk cost fallacy, actually died, literally died trying to climb his hundredth mountain in uh, in New England. Um, when his friend said, we're not going to make it today, we've got to turn around and go back. And he said, no, I got to get it because this is my hundredth. And he went on and he died, literally. You can know about the sunk cost fallacy and still not understand it. Um, in the book, it is explained as, say you've spent, you've spent a lot of money on tickets to a show. It's going to be outdoors. And the day of the show comes around and it's freezing cold. It's snowing. You don't want to go. You're going to be outside freezing. But you you think you have to go because you spent the money on those tickets. And then here's the question for you. If somebody, if you didn't have those tickets and somebody came up to you and said, I've got these free tickets, would you like to go tonight? If you would say to them, no, I'm going to pass on the free tickets because it's cold and snowy and I'd rather stay inside. Then if you go because you paid for the tickets, you are falling into the sunk cost fallacy. Your decision for going to the show should be based around what you actually want to do, not based on any money that you've already spent that is lost that you can't get back. And honestly, I read that part of the book like three times. It still breaks my brain to think about it. You can understand the sunk cost, sunk cost fallacy and it still doesn't make sense. And I've got to tell you, uh, we were going to go see a soccer game the other day and it was so cold and the tickets had only been $15. And I thought, sunk cost fallacy, Rachel, you can just stay home and stay in bed. And I did. And I read a book and it felt great. Sunk cost fallacy goes into our writing too. We have all known writers and I know I'm thinking of one in particular who I've known for, I don't know, I've known her for 20 years. Um, you don't know her. She's not part of my writing groups in person. She's never been in my classes. I promise you do not know her, but she's been working on her book this whole time. And she's always querying it and revising it because she feels that if she queries and revises it some more, Perhaps someday it will get picked up and published, and perhaps it will. There's nothing that I can say that it will not. However, she's unwilling to put it to the side and move to a second project because she's put so much time and energy into it, and that breaks my heart. We do not want to get into that place. Um, the sunk cost fallacy can marry the endowment effect, which means that we place more value on the things that we own even if we would look at something else that is the exact same quality. You know, I've got this, I've got this couch right here and that couch is out there on the sidewalk and that couch on the sidewalk has a $500 price tag on it. If I have the exact same couch, I'm going to put a price tag in my head of $700 on it. Merely by dint of it belonging to me, it is worth more in my brain. It's a cognitive bias. We can't control it. It just happens. Um, there's also something called the Ikea effect, which is, part of the endowment effect, which means the endowment effect is even stronger if we have made it. If we have made a crappy nightstand that we got from Ikea, it will be worth more to us than the nightstand on the other side of the bed that we bought that is in exactly the same condition. But because we spent our time and energy into building it, it also becomes more important. So there is what I'm, what I'm walking myself carefully to here is that sometimes we do get entrapped by what we are doing. And we can think about sometimes, do I need to do something else? Do I want to do something else? Do I need to set up um, some of what Annie Duke calls uh, the kill criteria? 
they're benchmarks that you set if you're feeling stuck or if you're worried you're going to go too far. So basically, kill criteria can look like if I haven't done X by Y time, then I will do Z. So if I haven't gotten an agent after 150 queries, then I'll self-publish. Uh, if I haven't figured out how to finish this draft by December 23rd, I will ask two writing friends to come up with an arbitrary ending for me, which I will write by January 1st. In other words, we're pushing ourselves into doing the thing that we have been preventing ourselves from doing. What can be very useful with this is to have a conversation with somebody before setting that kill criteria, have a conversation with somebody that you trust to tell you the truth, even if you don't like it. Um, that can help you know whether you are just procrastinating because it's it's hard work, which we all do. All of our books become not shiny and not fresh, and all of us want to run away and hide from our books forever. That's normal. But it could be super useful to have that conversation with somebody who says, what would success look like for you over, say, the next three months? What would success look like for you over the next month or over the next three months? If you miss that, if you roll over that kill criteria, thereby tripping it, will that help you? Will that change something? Because sometimes we have reached a point where we can't do the thing. We've tried to do all the things. We've talked to everyone. We have done all the journaling. We have been working on this and we now have stopped writing. When we have stopped writing entirely because we are so stuck, there are, there's a, there are a lot of things you can do. You can talk to somebody. You can hire a coach to talk to you through about the plot. You can um, think about what your process looks like and how to change it. We could talk about if you're just sick of this book. And if you're being distracted by shiny objects, or is there something else that a part of you is saying, maybe I should quit this book and do something else, at least then I would be writing? That can be tremendous. That can be amazing. I really like to think about quitting temporarily. Um, I've done that at least five times with books that I can count. Yeah, five. Uh, where I get to the end of the book or the draft and I'm like, nope, I can't. I don't want to. I'm not writing because I'm avoiding this so hard. I'm going to quit it temporarily. I put it to the side and then I write. As long as I am writing, that is what matters. You can go back to that project that you have quit or quit temporarily after you've done some other writing that will teach you how to do some things. You'll be better at writing. And when you go back to that, if you choose to, you will know how to fix it. The answers will come. And that's the beautiful thing. Sometimes you really do have to step out of our way to have a palate cleanser or a light novel following a dark novel or a dark novel following a light memoir. You are allowed to do that. You are allowed to change direction. And keeping in mind sunk cost fallacy and endowment um, uh, effect and the IKEA effect, do you owe it to yourself to do something different? There are a couple of problems with this, of course, and these are things to watch out for. Um, it's easy to quit writing a book or put it aside temporarily and write a new first draft, and then you have a collection of first drafts. I know some people that love NaNoWriMo so much, they have 20 first drafts and they've never done a second draft. That's totally fine if that is what you want for your writing career, but if you want to publish at some point, you will have to work through murky revisions, which do not feel good. They feel terrible. How will you get through that? You'll figure it out in order to publish eventually. So having a bunch of first drafts 
probably no problem. Um, but figuring out when to do something with them, that is important. Another red flag could be never finishing a draft at all. There are, never finishing a draft at all. There's a couple things happening here. Um, you're probably falling, you might be falling for the new and shiny, but you are definitely falling for that perfectionism trap. People who never finish a draft are trying to finish a good draft. Even if they don't think they are, even if they would tell you, no, 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 I know it's supposed to be bad, but you know, this is really bad and I really did screw up and I've got to figure that out before I move forward. That's actually wrong for most of us. We have to make huge mistakes and keep moving forward to the end of a draft. You know that, I know that. If you're not finishing drafts, it's most often because you're setting your standards too high. Please lower them to the ground and dig a basement. Um, so that can be a problem. If you allow yourself to quit or quit temporarily, just keep an eye on whether you are serial first drafting or if you are never finishing a draft at all. But the big point of this is that your goals should change because you and the world changes around you. You will have to stick to a book if you want to finish a book and publish it. And in every single book that you write, there will be a hundred or a thousand times where you are convinced that you need to quit. But you go back to it. You go back to it and you move forward. You go back to it and you move forward in a satisfying way. Sometimes you can feel that. Other times, if you think that this may be the point, even though you hate everything about it, or you may want to set it aside and try something else for a while, do a little palate cleanser, it might be a great time to change that goal and follow that idea and see where you end up. So yes, this is not a conversation I could fit into Rachel's plan yesterday, but it's something that I was thinking about in bed and I really wanted to share with everybody. So um, if you'd like to meet with us once a month in Rachel's plan, I'd love to have you. We're having a great time over there. And if you'd like to do 90 Days to Done or 90 Day Revision with me, in which I am your cheerleader and I will help you do this, I will take you by the hand. We will do it together. Please join. Um, and please open your mind to the new name, Ink in Your Veins, and the new theme song, because I know when a podcast that I love changes, I am mad about it. So I'm actually very pleased to just be able to sneak one in here now. And then you'll have a few normal ones. And then we'll go into the new format in the new year. Um, but I'm still Rachel Aaron. I'm still so thrilled that you are here with me. And I'm so happy that you are writing. And thank you, my friends. We will talk very soon. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Ink in Your Veins. You can reach me at my website, rachelherron.com, and you can also support me at patreon.com slash rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, where I have all sorts of great stuff for writers for as little as a buck a month. And do sign up for my free writer's email list of encouragement at rachelherron.com slash write. Now, get to writing, my friends. Thank you.